You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. All right, you got Shank and Wayne here. Got a couple things to catch up on before we introduce our a great guest. So we threw the challenge out after the podcast with Tony. Um, he wanted to keep the time to call your sponsors before you take a drink, not after. <laughs> we couldn't come to an agreement on whether to keep it or scrap it, so we threw it out to the, the the listeners and asked for a vote. All the votes are in, and 87% of the vote voted to scrap it. 13% wanted to keep it. So after that vote and the audience uh, speaking, what are we going to do with it, Shank? It's out of here. It's scrapped. All right. That one's out of here. So stop using that if you're, if you're saying <laughs> that. <laughs> and we didn't get a replacement for it, so we're just going to scrap it. The other thing, we had a, we had a Otis reached out to us and wanted us to clean up a couple of things. So on, uh, on our episode with, with, uh, Gigi on the fourth step, she said that her sponsor told her that she could only use 19 words on the, uh, the cause or why they're, re- why she would be resentful at somebody. And we were unclear as to why somebody would say that Shank did say that, she thought that it was because in the book, the most words they used to describe the cause is 19. Well, we did a little research. We think we found the source of where that came from. We're not going to disclose that on the podcast, but <laughs> Shank was right. So it looks like that um, there are people out there when they're doing the resentment inventory and they're writing out why they're resentful, they can only use 19 words because that's the most uh, that's used in the example. So just a little, uh, food for, little food for thought there. Um, anyway, good to have everybody this week. We're, uh, we're up to introducing our guest. So we've got a cool guest with us today. His name is Maxwell. Maxwell, what you up to? Yes. It's another beautiful day here. Another beautiful day. Yep. Yep. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Max. Yeah, sure. Well, first off, I appreciate um, being invited to join the podcast and take part in this. Um, My sobriety date's November 12th, 2007. So uh, I actually came into AA pretty pretty young. I was uh, just about to turn 21 when I entered Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd never... I, I didn't have any previous experience with 12-step programs. I didn't have any preconceived notions. Um, I had reached a point of hopelessness and despair. And when I heard about Alcoholics Anonymous and heard someone's story in a treatment center for the first time, it 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 reached me and I was willing to, you know, take part in that and accept the help that Alcoholics Anonymous offered. So, um, you know, I grew up in... in 
what many people would consider a normal home in the U.S. Two parents. I played baseball and football. I went to church growing up. I was one of four kids. Um, we had moved down to North Carolina when I was in third grade. So, um, you know, normal childhood. But, you know, as I got older, I felt kind of out of place, like you hear a lot of people talk about. And um, I had an older brother that I looked up to a lot, and I caught him partaking in some some inappropriate behaviors, drinking alcohol with his friend. And, you know, I thought that sounded pretty cool. So I, I tried it too. Um, actually he, he kind of convinced me to do it before I could tell on him. And, you know, I had, I had a spiritual experience, um, like a lot of people say, and, and which differentiates, I think from the normal drinker, the first time I drank alcohol, I had just, it, it, it did for me something that, you know, nothing ever done before. I felt free. I felt all my fears went away, my social awkwardness. Um, I could talk to girls. I could, you know, wasn't afraid to get in a fight. I just, you know, it, it was magical. And um, I immediately wanted to do that again. I mean, I didn't waste a minute. I didn't black out and throw up and feel sick and have regrets. I thought it was great. And I went back to the liquor cabinet two days later and invited this girl over that I had a crush on and uh, got her to drink with me. And I, I, I made out with her. And that was my kind of guy. Yeah. I was like, yes. okay, it really is, you know, the magic thing. So uh, fast forward by the time I was, you know, 20 years old. I, well, even at 18, I had, I had moved away from home because I had so many problems. I had to run away from the mall and, and um, I had a brick thrown through my window out of buddy money. I gotten failed out of community college. You know, I, I just, everything was a train wreck and um, physically withdrawing. I couldn't, I just thought if I got away from all my problems, life would be, would be better if I moved away. Um, that continued to evolve as I moved away, still failed out as college again. I, I still ended up drinking. Um, I started doctor shopping because I thought I had depression and anxiety and ADHD and all these other problems. Yep. And I just kept, I just kept on it. And um, my, my last drink, I actually had gotten to the point where I was so unstable emotionally. And when I would drink, I'd black out, I would fight all my friends. I would call my ex-girlfriend crying. I would, threaten people. I'd threatened that I was going to kill myself. And I actually went to the point of actually trying to do that and um, ended up in a psych ward involuntarily committed. So to, to wrap that up, my, my last day, I was devastated. I was sitting in a hospital under suicide watch. I, um, I hated myself. I hated who I was. I couldn't imagine, you know, what, what the heck I was going to do. I was terrified. I was going to drink again. And, um, you know, I got down on my knees and I started to pray. And I remembered all those prayers I had been raised with. And I started reciting our father and I was raised Catholic, the Hail Mary and the glory bees and I was just praying everything that I knew. And, um, you know, something happened. I never drank again from that day on. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't like all of a sudden the obsession was lifted, but people and places and things started happening in my life at exactly the right time that brought me to where I am today. And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous was the big part of that. So that's that's kind of a little bit about me, the, the quick and dirty version. Well, you had you had me when you on your second drink, you had whiskey and a girl that that uh, <laughs> you had me at that. Throwing some Marlboro Reds and a little burger sugar, man. You got I mean, it's uh, 
That's hard to beat. <laughs> it, was, it was the magical, you know, uh, cocktail right there. It just yeah. worked every time. Yeah, we'll t- maybe talk a little bit more about doctor shopping in a minute. Shank, what's our topic today? Our topic today is problems other than alcohol. And, um, you know, of course, the obvious problem other than alcohol for a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, are drugs. Um, but this is not just about drugs, certainly. Like, that's why we have our guest on Maxwell, because he had experience with that. But, you know, also just about in thinking of women that I've tried to help over the years, there are so many things that that even I kind of tried to bring into Alcoholics Anonymous abuse as a child, how poor I was growing up living in a trailer park, religion, just all kinds of things that I really thought had something to do with my alcoholism or that I needed to bring all of these things into AA and let everyone know um, about all of it. So our topic today is problems other than alcohol. We got a lot of them. That's for damn sure. sure. Yeah. Yet to meet anybody who doesn't have a single problem other than alcohol in their life. You know, you know, we can take drugs out of the picture, but we've all got problems. That's right. And so one thing that we uh, kind of found and looked at was um, some excerpts from a Grapevine article written by Bill W. And it has this list of questions in there. Um and so question number one, I'm going to ask you, Maxwell, is can a non-alcoholic pill or drug addict become an AA member? No. Why not? Whoa, whoa. The non-alcoholic, you know, or, or the, the, the you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is, is focused on helping the sick and suffering alcoholic. So if you're not an alcoholic, you know, that's a, a diversion from our, our primary purpose. Okay, number two, can such a person be brought as a visitor to an open AA meeting for help and inspiration? Yeah, I'd say I'd say they can. If they have desire to stop drinking, they're they're welcome to attend. Well, everybody's welcome to attend an open meeting. So if so, if so, which you said yes, should these non-alcoholic pill or drug users be led to believe that they are to become AA members? No, and that's, I think, difficult for a lot of people to kind of accept today. It's just that Alcoholics Anonymous is not for everybody. We're a very welcoming and inclusive group of people. But, yeah, if you're not, if you're not an alcoholic, membership is not really is, is not really for you. And um, there's other places, thank God, today, way more than they had in the 1930s and 40s to help someone like that. It's better suited for them. And number four, can a pill or drug taker who also has a genuine alcoholic history become a member of AA? Yeah, I think it's simple. If they're an alcoholic, you know, we can help them. We want to help them. So do you want to share some of your experience with that? Are you a pill or drug taker as well as an alcoholic? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pill popper, you know, drug taker. I, You know, when I... I think it was just um, you, you look at people today and the one thing maybe it's a little different than in the 30s is that drugs are so common. I, I've yet to meet many people that come in now. I think, well, let me just restate this. I think people that come into Alcoholics Anonymous tend to have a history of drugs, whether or not they're an addict or not, they were using them. Um, so 
I grew up, you know, as a very young kid, I was introduced to a lot of different things and, um, it was all mixed together a lot of the times, you know, and, um, I don't want to get into every single thing I did, but I looked at it all as kind of one, just having a good time. You'd go to a party in one, that one room, they're snorting cocaine. In the other room, they've got a, a keg and I, I didn't really turn it down. I enjoyed all that stuff, but it allowed me to drink more. Um, I grew up in that era where they had rave parties and went to all those, you know, parties and there was just lots of different things. So when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I actually was very concerned I wouldn't be welcome. I looked in the room through the window, smoking a cigarette outside, and I saw these old people. I saw a guy wearing a tie. But man, they're never going to accept me. If they find out what I did, I will not be welcome here. And I remember deliberately walking to that meeting, prepared to lie to everybody in that room about my history because I was terrified that I wouldn't be accepted. And I would think like very carefully before sharing not to to, to say that stuff. Now I wasn't doing it because I was trying to respect the traditions. I was doing it because I was fearful of not being allowed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I finally sat down with my first sponsor, though, and told him about my history, he told me about his. I I, I knew that it was okay, and he he shared some things with me that um, I could relate to in regards to those you know extracurriculars, drugs, and um he showed me in the book where you know. Their stories were even Dr. Bob talking about using using drugs. You, um, so I think it's a, it's a part of our world today. It is. And um, now it's it seems even more confusing because some of these drugs are legal and people wonder if it's okay or not and doesn't specifically say so in the literature. Uh, so yeah, that's I definitely have history with that. Jay Wayne. So- so Max Maxwell, so when they found out that you had a legitimate drug problem, did I mean they welcomed you and they didn't they didn't say, Hey, we can't help you? No. I think in true A fashion, people laughed about it and said that I did the same thing, you know? Um Yeah, I never I never I actually never had anybody tell me I wasn't welcome because of it. I, I actually had the opposite experience. You know, I didn't feel any real aversion from the group members that you know, you did drugs, you're not welcome here. I was told that, you know, based on our traditions that we, we don't, we don't talk about that here as much, you know, you should, our focus is on alcoholism and alcohol and, you know, your, your talk and your, when you share and talk with other people, you should try and limit your discussion to focusing on alcoholism. So sometimes those things coexist together, like doing drugs and drinking like that, that might come up when talk to somebody, but that's not our primary purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I I was, um, my, my experience was similar. I was a, I mean, I was a partier. I I did whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it was there, I was going to do it. Um, but I was always more, you know, more of an alcoholic. I mean, I started drinking when I was 12 and never, never put the booze down. I mean, I just, it, it was my deal. Um, but you know, when I got here, I was, I mean, I had a lot of other problems. I, I, I had attempted suicide three times and was just kind of very, just shameful and guilty about that. I had a, a, a serious problem with, with, uh, with cocaine. I mean, I did powder and I, Right there towards the end, crack had hit the scene, and I, I 
kind of caught the, the the tail end of my drink, and I I smoked a fair amount of crack. Of course, we call it free basin then. Uh, <laughs> I knew you we, were going to say that. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's no difference. I don't don't let anybody tell you. I mean, it's, there's this, but anyway. Um, but I really I didn't know what was wrong with me. I mean, I knew that I had a lot going on, and that, but I mean, I didn't know anything about alcoholism or drug addiction or AA or anything like that. And, but I can remember, you know, being, uh, being scared about it and being nervous and wondering, you know, how I was going to fit in. And, you know, luckily I got, you know, was sent to a, a couple of good groups and good people that helped me, you know, decide what I was and what I wasn't helped me decide where I should go. And, you know, I actually, you know, for a little while, I went to AA and NA trying to, you know, figure out where I belonged and ultimately, you know, realized that I was, I was alcoholic and that AA was, was sufficient. And, you know, all those other problems that I had, that, I mean, we actually, I mean, all those have been resolved or been dealt with through the steps and sponsorship or people with like problems that are in the fellowship and through prayer and taking action. So it's not like we don't care about other problems and that we don't deal with them. It's just, it just doesn't matter. I mean, if you've got a legitimate drinking problem, it just doesn't matter what your other problems are. You can recover here in Alcoholics Anonymous, or you're welcome to come. And, um, I mean, that's a, it's one of the great liberties that we have in, in, in the fellowship. Um, but I do, I do, I'll tell you, a, 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 I got a bunch of quick stories, but this, here's what we shouldn't do. So I was at my home group one night and, this guy came in that I knew he had actually tried to help me in a church that I was involved with one time. It was, it was that very conservative church and they were kicking people out for going to country concerts and stuff like that. And if you didn't wear dresses and all that, but he came to the hungry with his daughter. I knew his daughter, she was 18 and she was a legitimate crack addict. She had never drank alcohol in her life. Nothing but crack. And he brought her to the Amy and he, I, I went up and talked to him afterwards and he told me what was going on. And I was familiar with her word spread in the little community that we lived in. And, um, you know, I said, well, she really needs to go to, to NA or CA back then the CA was around here was a little, had kind of just started. And I offered to take her to an NA meeting the next day. They were excited about that. Well, while that's going on, the girl drifts over to the literature table and these two girls from the group attack her. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but go up and talk to her. And she explains to them what, what her problem is. And this is what they told her. Oh, that's okay, honey. Just substitute words. And it doesn't matter. You're, you know, you're welcome here. Just come in here. And basically what they were telling her to do was to be dishonest, 
to lie about what her problem was and that she could be a member there. And that's what we shouldn't do. That does everybody. It, it did her a disservice. It does the fellowship a disservice. And it does another 12-step fellowship a disservice because the girl could find recovery, maybe help somebody there. And But she was clearly not an alcoholic. So I did take her to an enemy the next day. I met him there and introduced her to some people, and I don't know whatever happened to her, but um, that's just that, that's that's that feels good. Hey, welcome everybody, but that's not what our job is. So, yeah, just change, okay. replace, replace alcohol with drugs. Yeah. So they, you hear that said a lot of times, and yeah, it doesn't make now, sense. Here's one thing that's interesting we do have a pure guzzler <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> So I did Shank, not do drugs. Shank is a pure alcoholic. Pure alcoholic. Although when I was making amends. But she had um, other problems. Yeah, pretty early on, I was told of an instance that I took some Xanax when I was already blacked out. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if that counts as like real pure. They thought I was dead. Um, anyway, what I will say is it does not upset me or offend me when people like, mention drugs in an AA meeting, but I have been in meetings before where, you know, I was at a speaker meeting one time and this guy was just talking about crack the entire time, like the entire time. Uh, He actually called me out in the audience. It was very bizarre. I was at a treatment center around here. And I mean, come to find out two weeks later, he was arrested for crack possession. So I'm pretty sure he was on crack at that moment, but uh, it has never offended me when people do that so long as they talk about their alcoholism, so long as they talk about alcohol. And this can be said for several other things, uh, in my opinion. I know there were many times, I don't know how many, when I would give talks before I made amends with family members, uh, specifically my mother, and I would talk about everything, the abuse, her husband's, her alcoholism, her drugs, just all this other stuff that had nothing to do with how I formed a relationship with a higher power. It had nothing to do with any of that. You know, uh, I was raised in a couple different religions and I've never found it necessary to call myself a recovering Baptist. I just think that that's harmful in the long run to someone in the room who may still be of that faith. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is not anti-religion. We are just not a religious program. So it has never like truly upset me when people talk about all these other things, you know, I've heard people give talks and they don't really ever talk about drinking. They just talk about their perfect childhood or their college experience or their religious background or all the drugs they did. Um, Just a myriad of other things. Yes. And I'm just like, well, where's the part where you drink, you find a relationship with God and then you help other people. Where is that? Because isn't that why we're here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think um, everybody has things that are unique about them, right? Maybe you're a housewife and raising kids was really difficult and whatever, or, or maybe you have mental illness or drugs, or there's so many different things that are part of people's lives, but our story in should be about how drinking affected us. Right. And maybe those other things are mentioned, but as long, I think as long as you're talking about your alcoholism, how that, that, that's the story you're telling and how you recovered from alcoholism, then it's okay to maybe, maybe you've mentioned some of those things. So it's a part of your story. You'd be lying if you didn't say I use drugs, right? You shouldn't be disciplined. 
but it shouldn't be our primary purpose to, to tell that story and to help people in that regard. What is interesting to me is I've kind of had like the opposite response where people are like, Oh my God, you got sober when you were 24. Like what, why, what do you mean? You weren't doing drugs. You know, like, are you sure? <laughs> like what is wrong with you? No one doesn't do drugs. Uh, I did learn in treatment. I should have been doing cocaine so I could drink more, but you know, I don't know. I got where I needed to go and don't blacked try. out and eventually passed out. So uh, I did what I needed to do, but it, it has kind of been the opposite response, at least the first several years of my sobriety of like, what, what do you mean? You feel like you lost out a little bit? No. Oh my God. I probably would have gotten here sooner than Max if I've been doing drugs. Yeah. God, I can't imagine how off the chain I would have been. It, it definitely accelerated things for me. And I think that's why it's like, I, I can't not mention that to a degree that that was part of my story, but cause it, it did bring me to a place of, you know, drinking much faster and harder than I would have. I think if I just had lived the normal lifestyle, like the people I associated with the things I did, um, you know, I wasn't working, I wasn't in school. I was, I had burned everything down to the ground so fast that there was nothing left for me to do, but drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The good thing about that, or the thing I think the message is if you have problems other than alcohol, it's fine to mention those. Right. And just mention them as what they are. Don't use code words or, I mean, can you imagine, like, I was looking at this right here. So you don't hear Bill Wilson or Dr. Bob or Bill Dotson or any of those folks that reference drugs in their story. They don't say, hey, the doctor prescribed some outside issues. <laughs> no, they just say high power sedative. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They're, they're pretty or, specific. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, or Belladonna or, you know, they, yeah, they, they don't, they don't use code words. We shouldn't either. Just call it what it is and, and move on. There's an old timer uh, recently passed away around here and he used to always say tablets. And I was like, what is he talking about? Tablets. Yeah. yeah. And I finally asked someone, they're like, oh, that's pills. I was like, oh. Yeah, the two of them just passed. So one of them used to say tablets, and the other one would say pills, tablets, and capsules. That's right, capsules. Capsules, yeah. Yeah. Pills, tablets, and capsules. (laughs) That's right. That's That's funny. I think that the point is I don't want to go around, like, kicking people out of AA. That's not the point. Um, But we have people in Alcoholics Anonymous that – they would be better suited in another fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. And part of our, it's not popular, I don't think, but part of our responsibility as AA members, I've always felt is to help people find out. And, you know, there, there are legitimately people coming, you know, into AA now that, that really don't have much of an alcohol history. Some of them don't have an alcohol history at all. We're getting a lot of like, pure opioid addicts and the, you know, they, they, they want to join AA because you'll hear it all the time. Well, this is just a better message. You know, I, I get, I get better recovery here and I'm like, well, that, that's great, but you don't have an alcohol problem. Why would you want to come here? Why don't you go to a, a fellowship that's better suited to you so you can be of service there and get what you need. 
Yeah. People I know that have taken that step, they feel a great sense of relief and identification when they finally go somewhere, they can honestly tell their story and yep. feel a part of, because I think that's such a, I mean, for me, that was the most powerful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is I knew that I was not alone in this suffering, that there was other people who thought just like me, I thought I was so special for so long. When I finally sat in a meeting and when I finally talked to another alcoholic and I heard their story, it was like this weight was lifted off my chest. I mean, step one for me was the biggest relief that I'd ever occurred in my life. I finally felt like there was an answer to the problem I had had for, you know, for so long. And everybody should be able to experience that when they go find the help that they need. Uh, yes. You know, the, the, the pamphlet actually talks about these, this idea of having like special interest groups or, Hey, we can, we can still help people like this, but it shouldn't be our focus. Right. So if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous that has a history and they talk, they give an example of an early member that had a history of drugs and he separate from AA found a way to help addicts find help they need. Right. And, there's there's other fellowships for that here. We've had, you know, more people going to Drug Addicts Anonymous, um, which is similar to Narcotics Anonymous. And that fellowship is growing. So there's there's the bigger that gets and the more successful people are there, the more yeah. people are going to be able to help, too. We're actually making the problem worse by keeping them in AA. Absolutely. In the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with AA members helping guide those people where, you know, where they really need to be. It's part yeah. of our responsibility to them and to the fellowship. Yeah. I've seen people come in that guys asked me to sponsor him a couple of years ago. He had, I think he had drank before the only drug he'd ever used is marijuana. Really? That was, he was, a, he was a pothead. <laughs> like, this is yeah. not the place for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the, the other thing is if you, if you, we don't take stats or keep up with, you know, keep records, but if you look at folks that, and I know a lot of them that came into the fellowship and basically their recovery was based on a lie because they're not alcoholic. It, even ones that, that appear to do well for a while, they never stay around. They eventually just disappear. Right. And I mean, I don't know if that's because they're in the wrong fellowship or if they were never serious, but they would have had a much better chance being somewhere else. I think. Yeah. I sponsored a guy who um, just pure drugs. I mean, he drank, but he was, he wasn't an alcoholic. He would relapse and he would go two years without drinking. He, he never really connected with a fellowship outside of Alcoholics Anonymous like he should have. And most of the reason there wasn't one really available where he was that was successful at helping people recover. And uh, I just, I think we're doing people injustice by not helping those things grow by referring people there and helping them with that foundation. Yeah. So Shank, think about when you got sober, if the, the folks that helped you were talking all about shooting heroin. Well, uh, they were outside of the meeting. <laughs> it just wasn't in the meeting. Uh, and I did several things that were required by the state of North Carolina. So uh, I know a lot more than I ever should or wanted to about drugs, having, you know, that not been my experience. I do know that there are meetings around that uh, welcome that and who think that everyone should be welcome. And uh, that is kind of like that meetings or that group's vibe. And the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is you can do that as a, as a group, as a meeting. 
You can have whatever rules or lack of rules. You don't have to go by traditions if you don't want to. Um, I just get concerned when it's like we're changing Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole by saying like everyone should be inclusive everywhere all the time. It doesn't matter if you have a drinking problem, just we're going to help you. The solution is the same. Um, so I think that sometimes that gets a little blurred for me when specifically when women ask me to sponsor them and I, I don't have anything to relate to in that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are parts of the country that where that's, that's prevalent, this kind of all recovery, but they're calling it Alcoholics Anonymous and they, they rewrite the preamble to kind of welcome anybody with any kind of, you know, substance use disorder. Just start your own fellowship. That That's right. Start your own fellowship or, you know, don't call it Alcoholics Anonymous. It's, it fe- I know it feels good and it seems like it's the, but there's so much history we've got of where this where that didn't work. work. Yes. Yeah. It's all been tried. There's nothing new. We've gotten soft in that. I mean, I think there's a lot of clubhouses where you'd probably 90% of the room would say, no, everybody's welcome here. Just, just let them, it's not going to hurt anything. Just let them stay in here and change the words, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it'd probably do good if, if you're one of those people who's got a history with drugs to, to know some people in another fellowship. And even if it's not drugs, uh, other problems where you can refer to those people and help them make connections. Right. Cause that's, that's the best way to help them. There, there is a term yeah. I like in this uh, pamphlet, though. They talk about, Bill talks about goofballs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know what a goofball is? Huh? I think that's a pill, right? Like a pill, prescription medicine? I don't know. Now, I always thought a goofball was, uh... now maybe I'm getting that confused. We used to call goofballs when you mixed heroin and cocaine and shot it up. Oh. That's what we call goofballs now. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know what we'll to look that one up. Uh, so might Google that real quick while we're <laughs> figuring this out. I, I think it's a combination of a sedative and, a, and an upper is what yeah. that is. Yeah, it makes you really goofy. Mm. I've never needed it to be goofy. No. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think, too, that at times it can kind of get misconstrued of you know, maybe people that are on prescribed medications feeling like they can't be an Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I mean, our, our literature states like, Hey, there are, there are good doctors out there, psychiatrists, whoever, like go and see them, go and see them for issues you may be having. Um, You know, we don't disregard human health measures. Yeah. You know, so if you're prescribed something and you're taking it as prescribed, good for you. Like, you know, I don't yeah. know. I've known several women that I've sponsored that maybe they lie to get a medication. I don't care. Like, are you using it the way it's prescribed? I don't have an opinion on that. Well, maybe yeah. I have an opinion, but not related to your recovery. Yeah. Yeah. It mentions it several times in the, and actually in the big book that, that we should never, we should we should make use of of good doctors. We shouldn't belittle fine doctors. I think the key word there is fine doctor and, and fine and good. And it's probably important to to go to a doctor or a psychiatrist that understands alcoholism and, and addiction and maybe even understands the twelve steps. But yeah, we um, we're not doctors. 
I think um, now Max is a doctor shopper, so he's got a lot of experience. <laughs> I have experienced that, and I'll, I'll say on that same topic you're just discussing, though I think as a member, sometimes we kind of think we've got the answers, we know how to help people. Yeah, sometimes we know better than everybody else, and it's almost because like, we got God on our side. Yeah, it's almost like a sometimes frowned upon in some groups to even recommend someone go get outside help. Like, no, we've got the answers here, but no, we, mm-hmm. we should, we should let people get help because it, our primary purpose is to help the sick and suffering alcoholic. That's, That's right. right. People yep. exactly stop drinking. It's, it's, it, it, again, it waters down our primary purpose. If we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. When I got sober, I actually um, was still not very, you know, I didn't, I wasn't real connected with Alcoholics Anonymous yet. I was going to some meetings. I'd just gotten a sponsor. I'd come out of treatment and whole medical system. And I went back and found a doctor. When I got out and I was just, you know, going in there hoping he was going to give me something good. <laughs> I'm probably one of the luckiest people on earth. Cause they, they looked at me and they're like, no, you don't, you don't need another prescription of Xanax or uh-huh. this or that. They, they basically said, just stay sober. And, um, yeah. I was hoping I had generalized anxiety disorder still. They would give me another. <laughs> yeah. That's a good doctor. I didn't, right there. I didn't know I shouldn't have been taking that. I didn't know the the feelings I had were actually just alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times bipolar and depression, anxiety, or I mean, looks, I mean, it's alcoholism right. many times, not always, but sometimes it looks like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, what other like, problems other than alcohol do y'all have? I'll solve them. Well, you'll solve them? Yeah. Well, I like <laughs> this I like this one reading here in this pamphlet where it says sobriety, mm-hmm. freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of an AA group. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear. Yep. And then it goes on to say that um, somewhere here. Oh, yeah. Therefore, we have to avoid distractions and multi-purpose activity. Wow. A lot of distractions out there. <laughs> God. Yeah. Stay on the path. A lot of multi-purpose activities going on, too. Yeah. So it yeah. sounds like the message we should be carrying, as it talks about in the, the fifth tradition, is that... Uh, teaching and practicing of the 12 steps as it relates to recovering from alcohol being yeah. free of that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. But you know, when I got here, Shank, I had lots of other problems. I, I, I wet the bed a lot. I, I, right. I was in a, I was in a marriage that I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I owed money. I mean, I was a, I was a, a suicide survivor and I just wore that. Like, I mean, I was a victim of, you know, child abuse and a victim of other, you know, things that shouldn't happen to a kid. And, um, it's all important stuff and it's all stuff that's, that's dealt with. And I think sometimes people hear like when we say, well, we don't care about your other problems as long as you got a drinking problem. That That's really not what we're saying. What we're saying is that if you've got a drinking problem, you can be a member here regardless of what your other problems are. And, and once you get sober, the other problems can be dealt with. 
Well, and when I got here, I know people get so tired of me saying this, but I'd committed crimes. I had problems other than alcohol. Like I was going to go to prison. I'd never been in trouble before. I didn't know what was going to happen to the people that I had committed the crimes against. Like one of them, they told me, you know, was very close to dying. But when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, thank God, an old timer was like, hey, you're not here to get an attorney. You're not here. Like there are attorneys in these meetings, but like you're not here for that. You're either here to find a solution to your alcoholism or you're not. You know, like, I'm not going to sponsor you if you're here trying to find a boyfriend, trying to find an attorney, trying to just do whatever you're trying to do if it's not the primary purpose. So thank God for that. Yeah. In my experience is once I once I address my alcoholism. And my spiritual dilemma. Some of those other problems took care of themselves and the more serious ones. I, it put me in a position to where I could find the right help. That's, that's it all exactly. started. It all started with dealing with my drinking and yeah. my alcoholism. Right. Like we, we, I don't say it's an indirect approach, right? But Hey, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I don't have a job. Well, my, my role as a sponsor isn't necessarily to go drive this guy out to a bunch of places of employment to try and find him a job. I'm going to work the steps with him. And as a byproduct of that, he's going to be employable. You know, now if your mental illness is still showing and you've got some serious problems that the steps just aren't helping, it's going to become very clear that you need to get some help to your point, Jerry. If you're an alcoholic, the steps are going to work for you and restore your life in a lot of ways. But there's some things that just aren't going to to be touched by it. Yeah. And I'm not. I know this is a shank gets on this a lot. I mean. I wasn't a guy either that it, a lot of times you hear it sounds like, Hey, I got sober and everything just took care of itself. You know, and I got sober and all the, the money got paid and the charges were dropped and everybody loved it. That's not what happens. Right. I mean, we get, we get sober and we actually start having more problems when we get sober because <laughs> we got to start dealing with them. They don't yeah. just disappear because we quit drinking. So. All my court dates happened after I got sober. That was yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Same. I lost my license after I got yeah. sober. Same. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, Shank, you want to go on to meeting shrapnel? That brings us to meeting shrapnel. Let's do it. What's the first one? All, All right. right. Maxwell, get ready. Maxwell, our first meeting shrapnel is if your ass falls off, pick it up and take it to a meeting. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of these sayings have, uh, you know, some context, the big book, it's just been, it's, it's been taken out of context. They kind of changed some words around and applied it to a different thing. This, this, this makes no sense. I would love to know where this came from like who said this first and why did they say it I, I, I don't know but I mean it implies in a sense that if you're in a shit ton of trouble the first thing you should do is go to a meeting which I don't think we'd all agree is that what you should be doing you should hit your knees <laughs> right yes yeah I'll call somebody the, um, yeah I don't know it's a it's a funny one I heard it you know it's funny but I heard it a few weeks ago on another podcast a guy said it. 
it's, I mean, it's, what it, like does that mean if you're thinking of drinking? Does that mean just if something bad happens, just like go to a meeting? Is basically yeah. what it's saying. Yeah, the I guess the term "ass falls off" means man, if 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 right if the crap hits the fan or if you're really in trouble, go to a meeting. I suspect it probably started in New York, but um, that's, a, that's a clear, spe- that's, a, that's a serious speculation. But Maxwell, if you remember, I don't, there was a guy that moved down here from New York that was a member of a group that we went to, and he used to say it all the time. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, I remember. And we had a member that brought him a wheelbarrow. You, were you there when he did that? Yeah, yeah, because there's some variation with the wheelbarrow, right? It's uh, you know, <laughs> a wheelbarrow and take your ass to a meeting. He would say, if your ass falls off, pick it up and put it in a wheelbarrow and take it to a meeting. And we had a guy that brought the guy a wheelbarrow one, awesome. one day before the meeting and said, hey, here you go, man. If your ass falls off, here's your wheelbarrow. <laughs> yeah. So scrap it. Scrap I think we got to scrap it. Let's scrap it? <laughs> scrap it. It's out of here. <laughs> All right. What's next? All right, meeting shrapnel number two. Some have to die for others to live. That sounds like something you say right after you pray for all the babies who are going to be born at this illness. Uh, (laughs) It does. (laughs) I hate this one. It's just like, it just makes me feel gross. You know, like... I hear it the most and the times that I have heard it is when someone has relapsed and died and it just like, I just, it just feels gross. Like, Oh, thank you for sacrificing yourself so that I can still live and be sober. Oh, yeah. I'll do you one better. I used to hear, you know, this guy say, step over the bodies. Oh (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So over the bodies. You know, over the bodies. <laughs> it's that just horrible. It doesn't well, listen. I, yeah. I hate to, I hate to admit this, but I'll, I'll disclose a, a really dumb story. So I used to say this. <laughs> oh no! And I was at, I was barely sober, and I was at a, I, I was at an NA meeting in Tarboro visiting and I made this comment during the meeting I don't know I don't know what the hell I was thinking and some and some dude after the meeting like came up to me and said man that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you, you I almost got in a fight with him. He, he was like telling me how I shouldn't say that and it's not accurate and I was defending it and I was like I was so far off track if you were the guy that it, almost fought Jerry please email us <laughs> yes, I'll make an amends to you. Although you might owe me an amends too for for telling me not to say it, but you were right. I was wrong. Uh huh. This is dumb. I, it's it's got to be some. It's got to be some treatment in a thing or something. I, yeah, it's after they go around and point everybody in the room who's not going to make it, and only one person's going to live from this disease. That, uh huh. That's right. I just don't think it's true. I think, I mean, Jerry, you got sober your first time in AA. I did. Um, All three of us did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
none of us had to die. I don't know. I'm not looking at anybody else's death as a means of me being sober. No. Scrap no, it. At all. Scrap. Max. Scrap it. Yeah, it's garbage. It's Shane. out of here. All right. Out of here. What's next? All right. Meeting shrapnel number three. God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Okay. I like this one. Okay. Defend it. I think it's, I think there is a, to a point, you know, we, we do everything we can, but I believe that God does things for us. You know, if if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, God's going to perform miracles in my life, right? Like there's, there's things that happen that are outside of my control. And I just think that, um, as cheesy as this saying is, because it's become so cliche, there is some truth to it in my experience, but, um, that's just the way I look at it. It just, you know, God, and there's, there's something I read earlier that kind of sounds like it in the big book, but I can't remember what it was. So maybe someone can help me out there. What do you think, Jay Wayne? Well, I've certainly used it. I I, I don't I don't know that if I that I say it anymore, but I think it's probably it's supported by the literature. In that, on page twenty five in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, it says. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. And then, of course, on page 84, it says, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So the comment is definitely supported by the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I look at it as like a grace, right? God, God's grace in my life. Like despite some of the mistakes I've made, I've still got some God's grace in my life. Well, y'all just listen for people to say it in terms of, which I believe, I don't, I could not, I didn't know I needed to get sober. Didn't know alcohol was the problem really. And I asked God for help and I haven't drank since that time. Yeah. However, when I hear people use this, it's usually, you know, that, I got sober in AA and started working the steps and doing whatever. And then my wife didn't leave and God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself or my felonies got dismissed or, you know, just, I didn't lose my job or I got a better job or I just hear it used as if like, I am the special one that God chose to help do something that seemed impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. It's probably like a lot of them. It's taken out of context. There's no right. doubt the day that I got sober, I did kind of what Shanka said. I said, God, please help me. And I really wasn't even looking to get sober or I didn't, I mean, I was just, I just asked for help and things, you know, quickly changed and that I've been sober ever since. But yeah, I mean, I heard somebody use it last week because, you know, their, their, their son got into college and it was all God doing for, for him what he couldn't do for himself. Well, no, it probably has something to do with him taking the test and applying and, uh, <laughs> you know, meeting the, the criteria. Uh, but you'll see it for all. Oh, God made it rain today so I can slow down. 
God's doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I like this one. And you know, maybe, maybe the lesson here is I need to look at my life to see what is, what God is doing for me. It's like, to me in this, at least people are like looking to a higher power and saying, wow, this was outside of me. It just kind right. of doesn't fit. I think what people are saying sometimes. <laughs> right. I look at it too. Like, you know, if you, if you're trying to live your will and live not follow god's will and you make a bad decision or things don't go the way you want them to and it still turns out okay mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's a, a way of looking at it you know god did for you what you couldn't do for yourself like yeah I yeah, I yeah. This job and i didn't get it and it's actually better mm-hmm. yeah you know it's better than me yeah well, well what do you no think what, what do you and think maxwell no... you know it is kind of tough because the more i think about this one it is kind of <laughs> Yeah, I could I could live without it, but it doesn't really doesn't really bother me that much. I'm I'm neutral, I'm neutral on this one. Okay. Well, hold hold on to that before you decide, Shank. I I, I think we should keep it. Yeah, I, it's supported by the literature. I mean, it's 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 uh it, it's probably a keeper. I, I mean, there's no doubt that something has changed in our lives or we wouldn't be here. Right. So, I mean, let's go ahead and give God the credit instead of ourselves. Or someone will ruin this for us eventually, but for now it sounds pretty good. Okay. <laughs> That's a good All point. Right, so We're keeping gonna, it. All we're right. Keep it. We're keeping it. Yeah, let's keep it. All right. For all you listeners, take note. The the notorious scrappers have kept another one. That's right. That is God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. <laughs> might get someone sober today. That's right. Might, it might get them sober. It sure might. Maxwell, we appreciate you coming on today and uh, being such a great guest. Did yeah. an awesome job. Appreciate your uh, your experience. Yeah, that no, was fun. It's uh, great to be a part of this and keep up the good work. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next round of meeting shrapnel. <laughs> yep. So remember, if you got an alcohol problem and you got a lot of other problems, you can be free from that. Freedom! Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.